My dad, he worked for himself. So I always saw that flexibility and that freedom that he had. I still noticed that he was in control of his own life in a way that a lot of other people weren't. And the thought of having someone else be in charge of my life, be my boss, wasn't something that ever sat well with me, which led to me reading a lot of interesting books about how money is made and about economics. It at least sparked that desire in me to figure out an alternative way to make a living for myself and a way to work smarter instead of working just harder. You're listening to Gilliam Perkins, our guest on today's episode of the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast. We've got a really fun, engaging, and informative episode in store for you today. But before we dive in, raise your hand if you've ever read and been inspired by a book like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or The 4-Hour Workweek. Have you ever heard the sirens call and caught passive income fever? Well, I sure did. And I first came across the idea of passive income while reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad on a flight back from a long stretch of consulting work overseas. That was before I became an entrepreneur and started my own business, back when I had a job. This book was pivotal in my journey as an entrepreneur and may very well have been the catalyst that ultimately led me to build MemberMouse. But the thing is, if you spent any amount of time chasing the mirage of passive income, you've undoubtedly come to understand just how much work actually goes into creating passive income. And Gillian is no stranger to this. Over the past few years, she's hustled and tried just about everything under the sun to earn passive income. She's written and sold a paperback book, invested in rental properties, created online courses, and most recently built a membership site. Gillian joins us on the show today to share the lessons she's learned in her quest to build a successful online business and give you a realistic look into what it actually takes to earn passive income. Gillian details all of her attempts to earn passive income and reveals which strategies have been most successful and which have fallen flat. Our conversation culminates in an in-depth discussion of membership sites, why she started hers, how she signed up her first 300 members, the joys and challenges of running one, and her advice to you to get you up and running. This is a really special episode, and I hope you enjoy and benefit from our conversation. So without further ado, let's get to it. I'm your host, Eric Turnison, and this is episode 123 of the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast. Welcome to the show, Gillian. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about membership sites today. Awesome. So to get started, do you mind just giving us, our listeners and myself, a, a brief overview of a little bit of who you are and what you do? Yeah, certainly. Well, my name is Gillian Perkins, and I am a business consultant. I focus in on helping people who create online courses and other types of digital products with marketing their products online. And I have a YouTube channel that's pretty successful. We have about 200,000 subscribers over there right now. And that's the main way that I help my audience at large. And then we also create courses for our customers as well as run a membership site for them to help them create more passive income in their businesses. And I'll also add that it's a very engaging YouTube channel. In fact, that's the reason that we're talking today. A friend of mine is a, a longtime follower of yours, and we were just having dinner. Um, and somehow we were talking about the podcast. You're like, oh, have you heard, heard of Gillian? And I'm like, no, I haven't. And they sh- and I started watching some of your videos. I'm like, oh, wow, this is great. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. <laughs> so yeah. So that's, that's how this came about. So have you always wanted to own your own business and to be an entrepreneur? 
You know, I think that when I was a child, I started having that interest. My dad, he worked for himself. He's a landscape architect. And so I always saw that flexibility and that freedom that he had, even when he was working really hard, sometimes putting in 70, 80 plus hour weeks, I still noticed that he was in control of his own life in a way that a lot of other people weren't. And so that became my normal. That was what I really expected from day one. And the thought of having someone else be in charge of my life, be my boss, wasn't something that ever sat well with me. And then kind of beyond that, I don't know if I exactly planned to start my own company. I didn't think about it that much, but I did start thinking about how to make money without working a job or without doing hard physical labor because that was the labor that I saw in my life because my dad ran a landscaping company. Um, and so I didn't know, you know, from the start and none of us do what we want to do when we grow up, but it at least sparked that desire in me to figure out an alternative way to make a living for myself and a way to work smarter instead of working just harder. Did you ever, um, do anything like a lemonade stand or, or something like that when you were young? Oh, yes. My childhood was full of failed lemonade stands. <laughs> I tried so many things along those lines, and I, I was quite frankly very bad at it, I would say. But the thing I was good at was not giving up. I just kept trying over and over again, uh, regardless of the results or the lack of results. I, I don't think that I ever had a true lemonade stand, um, but I did a lot of very similar things. I remember one year setting up a table in my front yard at, out at the street and selling my Easter candy or trying to sell my Easter candy in the middle of summer. And I think a few neighbors came over and out of pity for me, bought some of my Easter candy. Uh, and it was all sorts of strange little things like that, that ultimately, you know, slowly taught me little, I, I don't even know if you would call them business lessons, but they taught me a lot of things that didn't work. And so I realized why they didn't work, which allowed me to over time, you know, kind of get over maybe those some things that I would have tried as an adult. I also tried starting various organizations, which is interesting. Now that we're talking about membership sites, I would start different um, clubs or different charities. And then I would go around and ask the neighbors to donate to my, my charity or to join my club, uh, which, you know, sometimes they would a little bit. Um, but it was a one venture after another, I would say, you know, just trying to see what would stick and, and none of it stuck. <laughs> yeah, well, that, I mean, that's really interesting. Though. I mean, you were very active. I mean, I definitely had some entrepreneurial interests when I was young, but I wasn't doing a lot of stuff. I mean, it sounds like, you know, really your your education started early. And, you know, you were talking about your dad and the job that he was working now. You know, um, I think that you've read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yes. Um, and that's a book that really helped change my perception as well. And really, I think the two things, the concept that really stood out to me is earned income versus passive income. And so father's job was more earned income, right? And, mm -hmm, yeah. and so what does passive income mean to you? That's a great question. So I think that it's interesting because I think that there's the dictionary definition, there's kind of an implied logical definition, and there's then there's what it means to each individual person. So dictionary definition, um, this won't be verbatim, of course, but I do read it on a pretty regular basis because I talk about passive income frequently in my business and to my audience. And so it doesn't say, you know, income 
obtained through no work. It says that income obtained or maintained through little to no work. Okay, so this doesn't have to be income that we get doing absolutely nothing. And of course, nothing is created with absolutely no effort. Um, and then there's this kind of implied definition, which I think some people think is work or income that you have created that you don't have to do anything to maintain. My personal definition, I would say, it's income that you probably did a lot of work to create initially, right? You built a membership site, or you created an online course, or you bought an investment property, or you went out and bought a stock, perhaps. And then over time, you have to do, like the dictionary definition says, little to no work to maintain it. However, something that I think so many people miss is that even if you don't have to do much work to maintain it, to continue to get some income from it, most of us who are interested in business or who have that drive inside of us that compels us to go out and create something, we're going to want to take it further. And so we're going to continue to do work to increase our income over time. So I think a great example of that would be my YouTube channel. We make two videos every single week on the YouTube channel, and we generate a fair amount of passive income through the ad revenue. So YouTube displays ads on our videos, people click on those ads, and we get 50% of what those advertisers pay to YouTube. And so I often identify YouTube as a source of passive income. And sometimes people will come back and you know tell me, oh, well, it's not passive income because clearly you're working really hard to create these videos. And yes, I, I am working really hard. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of time, certainly, to create the videos. But if I stopped creating videos today, I would continue to earn income from all the old videos that I've created in the past. And that income would continue for months and months, if not most likely years into the future. And so I'm continuing to do this work to build my business and to build my audience so that my future income will be even bigger than it is today. But that doesn't mean that YouTube isn't generating some passive income. And and also, I think, you know, what you said earlier is about your your intention and why you're doing it. And I think, you know, if you're trying to do it to get to the passive income and you imagine at some point you're just going to stop and do nothing, a lot of times those ideas don't land and have success because you're not willing to actually put in the effort to get to a point where you've generated enough past assets that can fuel present income. Yes. You know, but for you, it's really clear to see that your main motivator is not the income side of things. It's mm -hmm. you just have a joy of uh, sharing what you've learned with people and uh, maintaining and contributing to that community that comes to you. Yeah. And I would completely agree with what you just said about how you might not have enough motivation to actually do the thing that you need to do, complete the project that you must complete in order to get that passive income off the ground and make it start flowing in. If you don't have so much motivation that you're going to continue to work afterwards. Because I see that time and time again, where people think that they want to create a course to start generating passive income or build a membership site. They have great ideas, quite frankly, 
but they don't have enough motivation to do those things, enough motivation for the thing itself. They're only interested in making the money and nothing wrong with being interested in making money. As I told the story of my childhood, I that was my like prime motivator there. The reason I was reading these books, the reason I was trying these different things was I was trying to figure out how to make money. And that continued into my teens and into my early 20s um, until I finally you know, found something that A, I really liked doing and B, was actually making me money. So it took a lot of time and a lot of chasing that desire to make money. But it wasn't until I found something that I liked in and of itself that I was able to turn it into a success. Right. And I think in in, in your case, it sounds like the money was more of a metric than it was of an end. Because you were basically doing the things that you were doing and you were saying, okay, are people willing to exchange a resource that they have in exchange for what I'm doing? Is there an alignment such that they're willing to transfer something over to me? And the income just becomes a metric for that. And it's and that's proof and pudding is basically like, yes, now that you have it, you didn't just peace out. Be like, thanks guys, see you later, right? Um, and the thing is, that's if if basically you're starting a project and you're already trying to look for shortcuts that's a red flag, right? If you, you know, because that, that's a good sign the motivation's in the wrong place. Yeah. And I think that that is such a good way to put it, that the money was just a metric. For quite a long time, I thought that what I really wanted was the money. I thought that that was my motivator. I thought I was very, as people would say, like motivated by making money, not motivated by people's reaction or by um, the, the benefits that I was getting maybe from working with the clients or the joy I was experiencing from working. I thought that it was the money that I wanted and I just wanted to get the money in a good way you know, because I had good motives or like I had a good character that was driving this desire. I wanted to do good things with the money. But especially as the money started to finally come, I so realized that it was not the motivator at all. I wanted some things that money can buy. I wanted that flexibility and that freedom. I wanted to live in a nice environment, things like that. And I wanted the security that money brings, but the money itself, now that I have enough, I actually have to work so hard to find other metrics to measure my success by because I'm so not motivated by money. <laughs> right. Well, that's great. It's a nice place to be for you. And I believe too, that being in a position like that is a reward basically for the approach that you've taken. And you've continued in your adult life to kind of try these different things. And I think it would be valuable to to go through some of them, the different um, strategies that you've tried to get to the point where you were making the income to support the lifestyle that you wanted. So I, I wish I kind of had some like sh um, sound effects like from Family Feud or something <laughs> like, okay, let's do the lightning round. Um, but yeah, let's just go through these pretty quickly. And just if you just want to talk about your experience with the vehicle and say what worked, what didn't, so uh, one thing you tried was a paperback book. I did. I wrote a paperback book about uh, two and a half years ago now. It's called Sorted Freedom Through Structure. And it's a book that talks about how to organize your life, both in terms of your schedule and in terms of your house, to have more freedom and more flexibility. You would think that being more organized and being more structured might feel stiff and awkward and restrict you from doing things you want, but really it can give you a lot of flexibility and freedom to have the opportunities to focus 
on those things that are truly important to you in life. So anyway, you didn't ask for a synopsis of the book, but that's what the book is about. I wrote this book and and it did really well, actually, initially, much better than I thought it would do. I had absolutely no network at that time, a small you know group of friends. I'm, a, I'm an introvert myself. And so I don't have a large group of friends. I have no family. Um, <laughs> it's my mom and my dad and my brother and me, and we have, you know, no extended family whatsoever. And so I really wasn't expecting it to do well at all. But by just sharing it in a few Facebook groups, and by using a strategy for marketing it on Amazon and getting it to rank well on Amazon, I managed to sell about 10,000 copies in the first week, which completely blew my mind, not expecting that. And then it went on to sell several more thousand copies over the following month or so. So massive success there, but how much money did it make? Not all that much. Um, You earn about $5 per copy that sells, but how we were able to get a lot of those initial sales was by putting the book on an extreme sale, which was great for getting that exposure out there and for helping it to get some momentum so that we could continue to make sales in the future and for getting it into many more people's hands. It did a lot for me for growing my platform. But in terms of earning passive income, yeah, it didn't make very much money. So would I recommend it? (laughs) Yes, really, I truly would because it taught me so much and it helped me grow my platform and it helped me develop a lot of expertise and be seen as an expert in the industry. Um, But it's not going to pay the bills. Right. And then from there, I don't know if it was directly after the next thing you tried, but you've also tried the ebook route. Yeah. I mean, it was directly related to that. I've published several other ebooks on my own website, but I published the ebook version of Sorted, my my paperback book, um, on Amazon at the same time. And it was a great pairing because it's much easier to discount the ebook, which can help your paperback book to rank better. So they worked hand in hand. Um, and the ebook earns a similar amount of money as the paperback does. The paperback gives the ebook a lot more credibility. People see it as a real book when there's a paperback version. Um, you make about the same amount of money with either one, though, and there's a lot of competition in both spheres. Okay. So, next thing, a completely different area is you try rental properties. Yes, I did. My husband and I bought a triplex, and so it's three rentals that are attached together, like three townhomes, and um, got a really good deal on it, kind of unbeknownst to us, to be completely honest. Uh, Didn't realize what a good deal it was until we had purchased it. And oh, there's so many stories that could be told just with that. Um, And everything anyone says about the challenges that can come with being a landlord, they're true. But I would still would recommend being a landlord. We owned that property for about three years and we had a few different tenants come and go, but for the most part, they were pretty good. And we made a few hundred dollars every month. Um, and for most of that time, we chose to actually live in one of the units. And so the rental payments from the two other tenants more than paid the mortgage. So we had free housing for three years. Um, And it was a really nice way to be able to save money that we weren't spending on our housing, which allowed me to reinvest into my business, which is one of the great things about passive income, I'm sure you know, is that it allows you to build momentum because you're not having to work for every penny that you earn. And so you normally have some 
essentially extra money coming in more than you could just earn in your standard 40 hour work week. Um, and you can then reinvest that money back into your business. And that's what the rental really allowed us to do. And, and then at some point you got into online courses. Yes. And I, I think that I started trying to sell online courses right about six years ago. And in retrospect, I wish I had realized that I was an early adopter on that. Certainly there was people selling online courses before that, but I assumed that lots of people were selling them, that it, this was old news. And only now do I realize that that was kind of at the forefront of online courses becoming a popular thing. So I wish I had known what the advantage was there then, because I had no clue. Um, but I started trying to sell online courses and I had, like I said, absolutely no audience. And so I made my first course and it was a pretty fine course, actually, um, even just looking back on it, the quality of it was pretty good, but I had no one to sell it to. And so I was trying to quote unquote, build my online business. And I was doing everything except actually attract customers. So I spent a lot of time, I wasted a lot of time just kind of spinning my wheels, um, working on my business without actually making any progress there. But when it finally did take off, which coincidentally, not coincidentally, was when I focused on building my audience and then focused on delivering to them what they were asking me for. Um, then it became a really good source of passive income and probably one of the most passive aspects of my business to this day, because those courses, unlike a membership site, which we're going to talk about in a minute here, um, they don't require ongoing support aside from a small amount of customer support, um, you know, as if people want a refund or something like that. But for the most part, we're selling self-paced courses that are, don't come with that added support benefit. Um, which obviously gives the students a lot of freedom to be able to work at their own pace um, and to not be paying the premium prices that would go along with paying for a mentor or a coach or consultant, um, but at the same time allows it to be very much set it and forget it from our end, as long as we have some sort of system for consistently driving leads to that funnel. And what was kind of the monthly revenue that you ended up coming to with your coursework? So at this point, we're bringing in between five dollars and $10,000 from the courses. And so that's about a quarter of our business revenue. Um, and right now we're in the process of really overhauling our funnels. Um, we're, we've we're moving from a very simple sales funnel strategy to something that's much more complex. And we've brought in a lot of help and support to enable us to do that in a really strategic way. Um, and so we're anticipating that over the next six to 12 months here for the revenue from the core sales to go somewhere between five and 10 times what it is right now. Got it. And that basically, you know, it's a lot more nuanced, of course but you're getting more leads to it. You're getting more eyes on it and you're having more efficient ways of converting those leads into buyers. Yeah, mostly more efficient ways of converting them because YouTube and blog traffic, those things are really fueling the fire and there just isn't enough um, 
there isn't enough wood for the fire to burn right now. So we're like dumping gasoline on this fire and there just isn't even enough for the fire to eat up. Um, and so we're, we're really missing out on a lot of customers that we could be closing. We have products to sell to them and we have lots of leads, but we're not converting them at the rate that we want to convert them at. Okay. So now we get to the membership site. Now at this point, according to, I think some people's understanding, what you're already talking about is a membership site. So let's first, you know, like selling courses, right? Cause a lot of people who come to member mouse, they want to sell a course and really they end up basically just doing that. And that's what they call a membership site, something that where you can access content, but your definition and also other people's definition, um, is different. So let's first say, what do you consider the difference between a membership site and what you call online courses? Yeah. So truly the difference in my mind is just the pay structure. Membership sites are sold on a subscription basis. So someone is becoming a member by subscribing to the site. They're paying every single month, whereas a course is either a one-time purchase or else they're paying payments that are going to come to an end at some point in time. So maybe it's three payments of 333 to equal a total of $1,000. Um, so that's the main difference that I see. The content that we offer in our membership site is very similar to an online course, except that we're adding new content to it every single month. So what was there a point in time where you like you consciously made the jump, the switch between doing the online course model where you're selling uh, a one-time purchase item or a you know limited number of payments item to the subscription process? Um, so when did you first come across this concept? I'm not exactly sure when I first came across the concept. I feel like it was fairly early on when I was reading a lot of books about five to six years ago about how to make money online. One of them was the four hour work week. Maybe membership sites were mentioned in there as a possible way to make money online. I'm not really sure, but sometime right around then, that was also when I was introduced to Pat Flynn and Smart Passive Income. And at some point in there, I got this idea. And I remember thinking that it was a really interesting idea and that it sounded like the best way to make passive income. But I immediately realize that there is a certain problem with needing that critical mass to actually get your membership site off the ground. And I think that at the point when I started seriously considering it, I had already created my first online course and I saw how difficult it was to make sales of the course. And I just thought, hmm, creating a membership site would be a lot more work even than that. And I'm not sure if I would be able to get anyone to join it. So it's been sitting on the back burner for a long time and over and over again, thinking about it, thinking about what the membership site could include um, and what the main value of it would be beyond the features. But what is the main benefit of it? What would set it apart from other membership sites? So over the past several years, I've joined other people's membership sites, uh, really just to snoop, I would say, to find out what they were doing in there, what was working, what wasn't. Um, and, you know, learn some things along the way, of course. And I, unlike many other things in my life that I kind of dabbled in and tried and then tried again and kept trying until they worked, membership site, I kind of just kept watching, kept thinking about and waited until I finally had an idea that I was sure was going to work, which was at a certain point when I realized that not only had I been wanting to start a membership site for years, 
But I also saw that we had developed this kind of strange problem with our audience. I say strange. It seems strange to me. I wonder, though, if many people have this problem, which is that we had to find a target customer. And then we had set about trying to market to this customer. And we hadn't done the best job that we could have done. (laughs) And uh, after months and months of marketing, what we had was a lot of people who weren't quite the right people to buy the service that we were selling to them. Because that's exactly what we were selling. We were selling high-priced services. And the people who we attracted were people who were interested in that benefit that we were promising, but they did not have the budget for a high-priced service. And so these were people who had a strong motivation, but the product was just a poor fit for them. And so at that point, we had one of two options. We could either uh, regroup and start marketing better to a new and attracting a new group of people, or we could take advantage of the people who we already had the attention of and offer them a new product that would be better fit for their situation and what they actually needed. And in looking at our options, it really seemed like it made a lot more sense to take advantage of this opportunity that was before us now, instead of trying to start over from scratch. And so that was when I realized that starting a membership site really would be the answer to the problem because we needed something that would be affordable to them and yet at the same time be worth our time and effort of creating it, i.e. be able to generate a significant amount of income. And so a membership site seemed like it really fit the bill. And so right about one year ago, a little more than one year ago, we finally launched the site. And of course, we spent maybe three to six months before that building the site. It was a relatively easy process once we figured out what tools we wanted to use um, and created the content. We create a lot of content in my business. And so that part wasn't too challenging for us, although I know that it is a big hurdle that a lot of people face if they're not already in content generation mode. Um, And so because there had been so much preparation done before this, because I've invested so much time over the past few years building my audience. Once we finally decided to do this, um, it was a hole in one. We managed to sign up 300 members in our first membership window when we were accepting new members. So you're doing an open close model. We have been doing up until this point, and we're planning to do that up until our upcoming summer launch. We're going to be opening the doors again in July. And at that point, we're going to open the doors and try an evergreen model instead, and we'll see how that goes. Great. So before we move on to other things, so, you know, there's a lot in what you just said um, from my perspective. And I think one of the key things that I always like to remind people, especially if they want to do this, is... You know, it's you can't come at this, and this goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation. You can't come at building a membership site like it's like uh, going to the store and buying something off the shelf. You have to understand, like even with the experiences that you had, the fact that you were coming in with some skills, like you're not starting from scratch, you still had a three to six month build. And that's, you know, I would say that that's pretty average you have to invest in the container that you think is going to take you where you want to go. And that takes time and effort. Yes, absolutely. I made a video a few months ago where I was talking about passive income and different ways to generate passive income. And I I made an analogy 
relating it to when I make YouTube videos. And so obviously everyone who's listening to this has watched a YouTube video at some point in time. And when you watch someone in a YouTube video, it's it can be very deceptive how much work it was to create that right. video. Now, sometimes you see, wow, there's a lot going on. This is full on cinematic. You know, clearly a lot of effort was put into this. But most of the time you see someone sitting on their couch talking to their camera and you think, man, I could do that. I do that all the time. I do that all the time. <laughs> they have so many subscribers. They're getting so many views. And I know they're making money because of this. Why don't I do this? You know, it looks so easy. But in reality, now, not to say that this is the hardest job in the world. It isn't by any means. It's something I really enjoy and is relatively easy, but it still takes a lot of time. On the days when I film YouTube videos, I have to wake up extra early because I know that at least as a female, I got to put on my makeup, do my hair. I have to write the script for the video. I have to do some research for the video. I have to tidy up my office. I have to set up all the lights and the camera. And then then I sit down right at my desk and I talk to the camera for, you know, probably 30 minutes if the video is going to be 10 minutes long, right? Because I want it to be perfect. And so I say everything about three times. And then I turn off the camera and we might think it's done there, but it's not done because we still have all the editing and post-production. And then we want to create these other assets that go along with it, creating the thumbnail. And, you know, I could go on, but obviously the point is that it's not just those 15 minutes sitting down and talking to the camera and it can look so easy from the outside. And a membership site is exactly like Same that. Thing, yeah. And I think, and there's nothing wrong with that. The, the challenge is for people that they have an unrealistic expectation, which makes them quit at the wrong time for, for, wrong, for the wrong reasons. I mean, there's legitimate reasons why one should turn around and say, okay, this isn't right for me. But I see a lot of times the reasons why people are, are bailing is because they have unrealistic expectations, which is an easy one to address. And this is why I'm doing the podcast. This is why I do uh, live office hours for our customers every week. The best thing we can all do if we want to create something is, is understand that it's a process and give ourselves time to do it because easy come, easy go. If you can build something overnight, it's, it's likely it's not going to be what you think it's going to be. And it's mm -hmm. not going to stand the test of time. <laughs> yeah. That is so true. And, you know, I think that it's just so important to anyone who wants to create a membership site that they kind of steal themselves against that before they even start. Go into it optimistically, you know, expect to create something great, plan to create something great, but also expect it to take a lot of work. Because while membership sites have the potential to make really significant income, they only have that there's only that opportunity there because relatively few people build them. And that's because it does take so much effort, not only to create the content, but obviously also to set up the site and more than anything else, really to attract the people, the right people who want to become members of your site. And, and you know what, Gillian, like, it's actually not that much effort, you know, it is and it isn't right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, there, there were definitely times in my career and starting this business where I was working 78 hours a week, mm. you know, for a long time, working multiple jobs, stuff like that. But, you know, if if you look at it, all it takes is, I, I think more, impor more important than the effort is the consistency. Mm -hmm. If you chunk it down and you do something every day or every weekend, whatever, but you hold yourself to it, something will happen. And it doesn't need to be crazy. It's like if you're focused, you can. We can all do 
amazing things in a few hours. Mm -hmm. Yes, I completely agree. Let me share just a couple things with you. First of all, how many hours are we actually working? When I say this is hard work, I really do mean like we need to put in the effort and we need to put it in consistently. I don't mean we need to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week. You know, sometimes that's necessary when you're first starting a business or when you're launching a new product, perhaps. But on a weekly basis, I'm working 25 to 30 hours a week. So, you know, far less than than many people work for far less money, right? Um, And then the second thing is, is that you mentioned that it's all in consistency. And so this is a conversation I have with my audience all the time, consistency versus quality, what's more important. And a lot of the time, what my audience is talking about is when we're creating YouTube videos, what's more important to create more YouTube videos more consistently or to create better YouTube videos. And so I have a strong belief that consistency is what matters in terms of effort, consistency of effort. And consistency will result in quality. Yes, yes, so much. Yes. So consistency and effort. And then through that consistent effort, then we're able to produce quality because in terms of production, quality is what matters. It doesn't matter how consistent you are putting videos on YouTube or posting on Instagram if it's not quality content. But the only way to produce that quality content is by putting in that consistent effort. Exactly. Chicken and the egg. Yes, so much. You can't get past the learning phase. You know, we all see our the top of the mountain where we want to get and we see the people who we want to emulate, but you're not going to do that on day one. And uh, they didn't get there without making quote unquote mistakes. They're not really mistakes. They're just not the ideal Mm -hmm. in your mind's eye um, on day one. But okay. So you and I are in total agreement on this and um, I could continue to talk about this forever (laughs) with you. But um, what are the things? So um, if you put in front of somebody, they say, you could buy this rental property and make this much a month. You could start this membership site and make this much a month in recurring income. Nobody has a problem or an issue with the fact of what you can get out of it if you do it successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody also thinks about, okay, when I own a rental property, what's it like to be a landlord? When I mm-hmm. run a membership site, what's it, what is the day-to-day? What am I doing? What you know, What's involved in that? So now that you've had time to be in that position, what is it that you love about membership sites and what is challenging about them to you? Mm, Yeah. So what I love about membership sites, that's probably the easier question, really. I love creating content. And I would say to anyone who doesn't that they might want to think twice about creating a membership site (laughs) because it normally involves creating a lot of content. Not always. You know, there are some models that you could use to create the membership site that wouldn't involve you personally creating a lot of content. But that's something I really enjoy about it. I also actually really enjoy engaging with the members. When you're selling online courses, it can be a little bit of a black box sort of feeling where you have this thing that you made and people are buying it and you don't really know why they're buying it or who's buying it which can make it difficult to scale because you're not sure how to find more of these people who are buying your course. Whereas with the membership site, we're talking to them on a daily or at least weekly basis and really getting to know them and finding out exactly why they joined and exactly who they are. And that makes it a lot easier to market the site in the future. 
Um, and then I also love the flexibility that comes with the membership site, which might sound surprising because you do have to maintain the membership site, of course. But I just find that I have so much flexibility on a daily basis. I can't. I still have work I need to do, of course, but it can all be done in part of the month and I can take the rest of the month off or it can be done in the mornings and I can take the rest of the day off. And so even though I put in plenty of hours of work, just that flexibility and that control over my own schedule is the thing that really makes me feel happy with my life and like I can live my life how I want to live my life. And then as far as things that I don't like, well, if I'm going to be completely honest, I don't love that I have to continue to put out content simply because that's something that's always going to be on my calendar. Um, However, I am a firm believer that there's always solutions to challenges or to problems. And so we're looking at some alternative ways where we can be complementing the content that I've already created with content from guest experts. And I've also been working on building out my team a lot so that we've hired a content manager and a project manager, people who can really take over the running of the site, which of course doesn't mean that I can't continue to interact with the members and love on the members and create content for the members as much as I want to, which personally I find that I want to do those things so much more when I don't have to do them. Um, But it does take me out of that pivotal role of the business where I have to show up time and time again. Yeah. And and also I I think that I share that experience with you um, in the role that I play. And I find that it's in one perspective that I can take on it is the challenges that the business presents to us sometimes are simply guidance to where our next destination is. And specifically what that looks like in terms of what you're talking about is, yes, there was a period of time where I was a software engineer for MemberMouse. I was building the software and that's what I enjoyed. That's my comfort zone. And at some point I was basically told in one form or another, not by a person, but by circumstance that I need to play other roles. You have to replace yourself because if you're going to grow this thing, then there need to be other people involved. Mm -hmm. Other people, you need to share your knowledge in a way where people can do what you do. And there's a lot of lesson, valuable lessons in that for me personally, in letting go of ego, allowing other people to shine, and then building a community that's closer. Like we're building our membership sites, right? With customers and those people, but then our team becomes a community too. And then that's another level of relationship. And, um, it just adds a lot of dimensionality to this this journey that you've um, that you've gone on, and you're being propelled forward in a sense, and you're at the forefront because people are following you as the leader. And where you go ends up being less about where you uh, are choosing to go, but more about listening to what the people you've gathered around you are asking for. Mm-hmm. And I think that with this and all the ventures that I've tried in the past, it really has been such a learning experience. And as you mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, they're not exactly problems that we're running into, or or I think you said mistakes, perhaps. They're not so much mistakes. They're more simply things that we need to learn how to overcome, you know, circumstances 
that we have to learn how to overcome, learning experiences. And that's exactly what I found with a membership site. Even though we did launch, I would say, very successfully with 300 members right out of the gate, um, that didn't mean that it was an instant success and that, you know, it was all sun, sun drop. I, I am terrible with expressions. Sun drops and rainbows, rain, rainbows and ponies. I don't know what the expression here is. Expressions. I, my expressions are great because none of the, they're all original because I don't <laughs> remember original. expressions. Um, but yeah, it wasn't all perfect from there on out. We've had to figure out how to serve the members better over time, which meant, of course, that we lost members in the process. But we can only be thankful for those members that we lost because of what we learned from them. And so that's something that I really enjoyed about running a membership site myself is the fact that I constantly get feedback so that we can constantly improve. One of the things that I really love about membership sites and the subscription model is that I feel like it puts everybody's coming to the table with the same agreement. I want to be in relationship with you and you want to be in relationship with me. Here's my money to show that I'm with you and I'm doing the recurring thing. And then from your side of things, your focus naturally gets placed on serving those people who are there. Mm -hmm. As opposed to a, a one-time purchase product, in order to keep the same revenues each month, you need new people. So naturally, even if you don't want to, you have to put your focus on getting new people in which means you're not going to have as much time for the people who already said they wanted to be there. And that's why I really love the subscription model. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And it's interesting. I actually hadn't really thought of that um, a, a while ago. I had just thought, oh, isn't it smart of software companies to be switching to more of the software as a service model? That makes them so much more money. How intelligent of them. Um, but, you know, for me as a consumer, not so great. But oh, well, good, you know, good for them, at least for, you know, figuring out this better business model. Until uh, maybe last year, or a little bit longer ago, we were shopping for a shopping cart software for our courses. And so we were looking at a bunch of them, including Thrivecart and Samcart and several others. And we noticed that some of them were a one-time purchase and many of them were a subscription model. And as a business, we were kind of looking at the, the revenue and the expenses side of things and thinking, you know, it probably makes more sense to just buy this outright. We'll save a lot of money. Until I happened to read on a forum where people were reviewing these, that one of these options, one of these software options that was being sold as a one-time purchase instead of a subscription, that this person who was commenting on the forum didn't feel like they were taking care of their customers and they didn't feel like the company ha had that obligation to take care of their customers in the same way. And so this person said that they would rather pay the subscription fee so that they could get that ongoing support. And I had never even thought about that. But ever since then, I have noticed this so much between across different companies that I have engaged with and different products that I've bought. Um, the products where I have a membership, if you will, or I'm paying a subscription fee, I just noticed that the customer service is so much better that I'm getting such better support as a customer. And so really, it's like we're being forced to buy a support package, which could be seen as a negative. But as someone, especially who is purchasing these products and in, you know investing my money into these products, I'm actually so thankful to... And like so excited to purchase that support package so that I can get the biggest, best results from these products that I possibly can. Yeah. And you know that also it, it, it gives more stability to the business you're working with 
so that you can, there's a much better sense that they'll be around because we're not in brick and mortar days. When we're building our business and choosing the tools that we want to choose to run it, we're, you know, if one of those fails, that could significantly impact our business. Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, the joys of running an online business, right? (laughs) You click one button wrong, one service goes down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So as a business owner, that's why I really appreciate it because I'm not a marketer. I, I like to create solutions and having the subscription allows me to work with it. Yeah. A, it's a smaller group probably than it would be if it was one-time purchase, but ultimately that smaller group is more engaged. And those are the people who I want to work with, mm-hmm. the ones who want to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't think really, sorry to contradict you, but I don't think that it is a smaller group because I I was at um, Digital Marketer Summit um, a couple months back, and they were talking about the concept of happy customers don't refer, successful customers refer. And by providing a, a service or a software or any sort of product through that subscription model and giving them much better support because of it, because the business is more stable, because we have that commitment to them, because we want them to keep paying us, right? So we give them s- such a higher level of service than we ever would be compelled to otherwise. Even if we really wanted to see people succeed otherwise, we wouldn't have that specific metric you know, that would be compelling us to do so. And that means that we're serving our customers so much better, helping them become so much more successful, which means that we ultimately are going to get that much more word of mouth, um, cus- word of mouth marketing from these customers and, you know, profiting more in the process. Yeah. And going back to kind of the expectation thing, I think the fact that your target was 300 members is really nice because you know oftentimes people people come up with these crazy numbers about what it's going to take to get to a point where they're where the site and the business can actually be viable mm-hmm. and they may say oh well, I need five thousand people how how am I ever <laughs> going to get this um, but no I mean three hundred that doesn't sound like I mean it, it you know. Um, there's a lot of new, there's a lot of impact in this, that how you get there. So this is given that number, how did you approach getting to that number? Mm-hmm. Well, let me just first of all say that the number wasn't 300. The number was 100 <laughs> and we just blew our goal out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we said, if we get a hundred members, this will be a success. Um, it will more than pay our expenses and it will be a viable test of this membership site and it will give us that uh that core group that we need to be able to try use them as our guinea pigs essentially as our beta group um and figure out how we can really help them the very best you know what we need to change so that in the future we can market this even better um so now back to your question though really you know how did we approach getting those 300 members um so for me, it was all about building up my email list. And obviously, I'm not the only person who says this, but it was all about building up that email list leading up to the launch. Um, we were putting out high quality, free content. And um, obviously, some people choose to use paid traffic and other people are mostly focused on organic. I have used both in the past, but um, I found more and more that I liked the 
challenge of using only free content, not just for the personal challenge, but because it really compelled me to focus on the quality of the content, creating share worthy content, content that got pe- that was so good that it got people talking. And if I was relying on paid traffic, when I was relying on paid traffic, I was always kind of coming back around and thinking, you know, maybe the ad manager just isn't doing a good enough job. Maybe we need to work on our targeting a little bit better. Uh, we need to optimize those click through rates, you know, things like that. And missing the core of the issue, which was we need to work on clarifying our message and we need to create content that actually um, gets people's interest and causes people to engage with it, causes people to share it. The content needs to be that good if we want the content to also compel people to buy because of it. But so strategy for getting those 300 members, we focused on creating the best quality content that we could. um, And lest anyone who is listening be confused and think that I run a professional production qu- company and have a full video production cr- crew. Um, go watch my YouTube videos, but they're mostly me sitting in my office with a camera and a cup of coffee and a cup of coffee, right? Um, and honestly, <laughs> some lights that I bought at Walmart because they work. <laughs> so this was this isn't an expensive operation. This isn't something that anyone who is listening to this probably can't do on their own, especially if you already have a smartphone, because most smartphones these days have perfectly fine cameras in them. And then as you get momentum, as you're creating results for yourself, you know, of course, you will turn around and reinvest into your business to create even better quality content. But I just don't want anyone to think like, oh, well, Gillian has, you know, the resources to create high quality content, but I don't. High quality content is primarily content that is on topics people want, like are interested in and uh, is interesting content, content that captures people's attention, which can be done. Which isn't about production. It isn't about production quality. A, f- a couple weeks ago, maybe about two weeks ago, um, YouTube happened to suggest to me a video called I DIY'd My Vacation Wardrobe. And I looked at this video and I thought, why is YouTube suggesting this video to me? I do not watch videos about DIYs. I do not watch videos about wardrobes. And the thumbnail is terrible, like terrible, terrible. Okay. Uh, Just this smashed up collage of all these uh, off color pictures. And it reads includes alligator encounters. And I looked at this thumbnail and I looked at this video and I was like, why in the world is YouTube recommending this video? And the video had something like 1.2 million views. And I finally clicked on it. I, I, I couldn't even explain why I clicked on it, but I was like, I, I just got to see what's up. What's up? So I watched this video and I sat mesmerized for, I think, 13 minutes and 32 seconds, something like that, because... Okay, first of all, this video, terrible production quality, like the worst production quality. She was shooting it on her phone, and I don't think she even had a very good camera on her phone at all. The coloring was all off. The audio did not sound great, but the entertainment value of this video was so good, and her timing with her editing was so good. She was just editing, cutting it at just the right points to make all of her jokes land in the perfect way. Um and so I, I sat there, watched this entire video, then proceeded to um, message my entire team on Slack with the uh, memo, watch this. So, you know, killed all that productivity too. Um, <laughs> then t- uh, showed it to my husband at dinner who watched the entire thing, which normally if I show him a video, he's like, Ni- you know, nice honey, you know, whatever. But no, he watched the entire thing. And then a few days later, I sent it to my entire email list of 40 something thousand people. Because it had entertained me. And I thought it was such a good example of 
content that was not high production quality, wasn't even on a very useful, helpful topic. In fact, she zoomed through the DIYs so fast that in her own words, she said, this probably won't actually be useful to you. But she brought value to my life because it was an interesting video. Now, obviously, when we're creating videos for our business, normally we're not relying solely on entertainment value. And so I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying you have to be funny. Because if you watch my videos, I'm not funny. Never. I'm I'm not funny. But my audience enjoys my videos. And I think that that's the key thing that we need to pay attention to is, is the audience enjoying the video? And are you attracting the right people to watch the video, right? So you're making videos on topics and with concepts that they want to watch. So maybe that's DIYs. Probably for most businesses, it's educational videos, but it also might be inspirational videos or any other sort of content. How do you um, measure that? You you say you want to you want to create videos that your your audience wants to engage with. Now you're at a certain point with your YouTube channel. That, that's probably not where a lot of people are at right now. But how can people, if they if they are putting a YouTube video up, what, what's a good way? Some some tips on how they can tell if people are engaging with that video and it's what people want and c- help guide them in terms of what they do next. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So earlier on, you were talking about how money was a metric that I was judging my success by. And metrics is something that I am very compelled by, even though money isn't my motivation. Metrics, I, I find very motivational. And I think that that is one of the reasons why I've been as successful on YouTube as I have been, because YouTube provides exceptional metrics, better than any other platform that we publish on. Um, the analytics that go along with the videos that the resources that YouTube gives you in terms of seeing how long people watch your videos for and when they stop watching, whether or not they cl- the click-through rate and giving you information on the demographics of your audience. YouTube really gives you all the tools in order to figure those things out um, without having to be tech savvy or without having to do calculations on your own. It's really all right there at your fingertips. The two metrics that I would encourage people to pay attention to if they do happen to be using YouTube is, I mean, this is so obvious, like it almost goes without saying, but views, that's telling you whether or not people are actually clicking on your video. So whether or not they like your thumbnail. Um, YouTube recently rolled out within the past few months here, the uh, metric of actually click through rate, which is really helpful because prior to having access to um, knowing what people's click through rate was, if your video didn't get very many views, you weren't quite sure whether YouTube was serving it to a lot of people and they just weren't clicking on it, which would be an indication that they didn't like your thumbnail, or whether YouTube simply wasn't serving it to people, which could mean that there was any number of other things wrong. But now that we can see the click-through rate, what that tells us and what we can learn from that is that we can see, okay, YouTube only served it to 100 people or you know, even less. YouTube only served it to 50 people. But 20% of the people clicked on it, which just for reference, 4% is the average like good click-through rate on YouTube. So anything over 4% and your thumbnail is on point. But then beyond that, you didn't get very many views. You know, you only got it only served it to 100 people. You got maybe 10 clicks, 10 views, right? So not very many views. Why didn't YouTube serve it to very many people? Well, if your click-through rate was good, then really the only other reason is if people weren't watching it for a very long time after they clicked on it. 
So they start watching the video and then either the quality isn't good enough, it's boring, or it wasn't on the topic that they thought it would be on. It wasn't the video they thought it was going to be based on the thumbnail and the title that you'd given it. Um, the only metrics that YouTube really cares about in terms of judging whether or not a video is good and whether it should try to recommend it to more people is click-through rate and then watch time. So those are the two metrics that we really need to pay attention to. Now, obviously, there's lots of other things that are influencing those metrics, so many different variables, but those are the two metrics we're really watching, not likes, not comments. With all this content that you're creating, how do you determine what's going to be free content and what's actually going to be reserved for people who are paying for a membership? Anyone who runs a content business knows that there's a fine line to walk here and that it can be really challenging. And I think that some people maybe navigate it more gracefully than others. It's something that I certainly find challenging. And so I have a general rule of thumb that I always try to abide by. And then I always just err on the side of giving more because um, I, I heard this quote years ago that I believe I heard as a quote. I've never been able to figure out who to attribute it to, though. But um, the quote says that an artist's greatest enemy is anonymity. So being anonymous. Um, so if you want to create something, if you want to sell something, and by artist, that could be you're an author, that could be you're a vlogger on YouTube, that could be you're a course creator, or, you know, anything where you're making something, if people don't know you ex exist, that's going to be your biggest problem. Once people know you exist, whether or not you're charging a little or a lot for what you're selling, whether or not a little or a lot percentage of your audience is buying it, you know, just having that audience there, having people know you exist, that's the first step into then being able to eventually earn revenue from it. Um, so how do I decide what should be free and what should be paid. Quite simply, the what you should do and the why you should do it is the free and the how to do it is the paid. And I'm certainly not the first person who said that by any means. Got it. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Now, like I said, I do always err on the side of just giving more because I find that that is what really helps my audience grow as best as it can. Now that can create problems and challenges than in creating the paid content and, you know, making sure that it is enough better than the free content that our customers are satisfied. So it creates more work on our end, but I think that ultimately we get the best results doing that. Got it. And um, as we're wrapping up here, is there anything that you think would be worthwhile mentioning to an audience who may be solopreneurs at some level in the beginning stages of getting a membership site off the ground? Hmm. Yes. Okay. So something I've been saying a lot recently is that it doesn't matter how good your conversion rate is if you don't have traffic. There's so many people in the online space who talk a lot about the importance of building your email list and who talk about how to generate sales. And it really just all has to start with actually having that traffic in the first place. So that means building your audience or coming up with a good paid ad strategy, whatever it is, so that there are people coming into the top of your funnel because it doesn't matter how good your conversion rate is, you don't have traffic. That's a really good point. And I, I definitely uh, made that mistake for many years in Member Mouse because my comfort zone was being a software guy and creating the product. Um, now, here's a problem that you can help me with. I sell membership software. Mm -hmm. It's really good membership software. We have thousands of people 
using it, thousands of people coming to us every month to start using it. Here's the problem. 50% of those people are either A, going to do nothing, pay us for a few months and then quit, right? Or they're going to do something, meet some obstacle and leave as a result of that. I see so many people across our customer base who are meeting all these different kinds of challenges. And so where are the places and resources uh, that they can go to find more and learn more from you? Well, the number one place would certainly be my YouTube channel because that is where we do give away the most of our free content. Um, So they can find that at just youtube.com slash Gillian Perkins online. Um, or they can simply search Gillian Perkins on YouTube. And then once they're on the channel, something that not everyone realizes is that there are search bars on YouTube channels. So any topic that you're interested in, just utilize that search bar to figure out, you know, maybe you want to learn more about a membership site or about starting a YouTube channel, because I do think that that education component is really the most important piece. Whenever you're starting any sort of new venture, especially something that's a little bit more involved, like a membership site, um, as we talked about, you know, I tried so many random little things as a kid and as a teenager and as a young adult, and most of them failed. And most of the time it was because I had gone into them with very little knowledge about what I was trying to do. And it was, and the first thing that I would say that I did that was really successful, you know, not just we got by, but it was really successful was the YouTube channel, which we started about two years ago, right? Right. Just over two years ago. And it took off almost from day one within the first month or two, we started doubling our subscribers every single month. And the reason was because even though I started the YouTube channel two years ago, I had spent the two years before that researching and planning and being a student of YouTube as a platform, studying the algorithm, studying other people's channels and other people's content so that I could learn as much as I possibly could before I even made my first video because I knew that it was a very competitive space. And membership sites, uh, they're not very competitive in the grand scheme of things at all, but they are very challenging on a personal level because as we talked about, you have to have that consistent effort. And if you don't have that long range vision of what you're trying to create and some idea of the obstacles you're going to run into them and what you're going to do when you run into those obstacles, then you will quickly become discouraged and you will be one of your member mouse's failed customers. (laughs) Exactly. And so I would just issue a challenge to anyone who's listening to this right now to jump before you're ready, to take action, whether you know everything or not, you know, become a student and learn as much as you can, you know, head over to YouTube, watch the videos about my membership site or about how to start a YouTube channel, whatever it is you want to do, because that knowledge is there, but don't put off taking action until you have all the answers because A, you never will, right? Um, And B, it's better to start taking action now and learn as you go because there's so much to be learned from experience. 100% agree. The other reason to take action and take steps is because to me, one of the things that happens as you gain experience and move forward is you just learn to ask better questions. So that leap is essential. If you're not making the leap, you're not moving forward. 
That is so true. And let me just give a real quick example of that. So for a few years, I was trying to build my business and I was studying so many different things. I was I was spending 40 plus hours a week working on my business. And most of that was learning. I was reading books. I was taking online courses, trying to figure out how to make my business be successful. And it just wasn't working. And I had no idea why, because I was investing so much time and energy, both into the working on it and also into the learning. And I felt like I was doing everything right. And it wasn't until someone mentioned to me, I I finally happened to hear that I needed traffic, that I needed to build an audience, and that if I didn't have an audience, I couldn't make sales, that suddenly that clicked. And I realized that was the question that I'd never been asking. Specifically, the question was, how do I get traffic? Or how do I build an audience? How do I get people to join my email list? I wasn't asking those questions because I didn't realize that that was what I was missing. And so it's not until you start taking action that you can discover what you're missing and then you can start asking better and better questions and through that process, find the answers. Answers that otherwise, you know, without taking that action initially, you wouldn't even know to look for. Truth bomb. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join me and have this discussion. It's really great chatting with you. And, um, just so people know, do you mind just sharing uh, the URL of your website and your YouTube channel so people know where to find you? Yeah. On YouTube, it's youtube.com slash Gillian Perkins online, uh, or you can just search Gillian Perkins on YouTube. And then my website is just gillianperkins.com. Well, thank you again, Gillian. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Many thanks to Gillian for coming on the show today and sharing valuable lessons from her journey. My hope is that you now have a better understanding of what it truly takes to start, build, and grow a successful online business and maybe earn a bit of passive income. For the complete show notes, a transcript of today's episode, and links to all the resources mentioned, head over to subscriptionentrepreneur.com slash 123. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more interviews with successful entrepreneurs, please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. Coming up next, we have an in-depth discussion with membership site expert and consultant Amanda Northcutt. Amanda has worked on many successful high-volume membership sites and comes on the show to share how you can increase the profitability of your site, better understand member engagement, and set up systems and processes that will help you have a bigger impact and make your life easier as an entrepreneur. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. If you stay with me this long, I think I'm going to join in on the uh, O's and O's on this next verse. Let's do it. <laughs>